this one up for the old guard as Shaky and Haslam strike back at Brands. Welcome to Bike Life. Let's go! This is episode 55 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on a bumper weekend of superbike racing both at home and abroad. It's one of those beautiful weekends where we both have British and world superbikes to talk about on this show and we will do just that over the course of the next hour and a half. Uh, victories that were split between Kawasaki and Ducati at both venues. Shaky Bird opening his account for the season at Brands for Leon Haslam. Uh, danced his way to victory in a wet race too around the Indy circuit. We'll also cover all of the action from Aragon last weekend as the European season started in World Superbikes. Jonathan Ray continuing to do the Lord's work for Kawasaki against an overpowering pack of Ducatis, although Chaz Davies did strike back in race two. We'll cover all of the issues from that race weekend, including Xavi Forres' Hero to Zero weekend. Uh, all of the action for the Yamahas, who had another solid outing, as well as the latest round in the World Super Sport Championship, which was very much Yamaha-friendly, as well as the opening race weekend in the 2018 Super Sport 300 season, which saw a brand-new winner for both team, rider, and manufacturer in that championship. It was a busy, busy weekend, and we've got another busy weekend coming up with MotoGP returning in the Circuit of the Americas in, Co in Kota. Not that they've got much to talk about from the last Grand Prix, and we'll also look into this weekend as World Superbikes goes back-to-back -back with their latest round, which takes place at Assen, the cathedral that is the TT circuit at Assen. Great weekend to look forward to, but a great weekend to look back on, first of all. And we will do that with Andre Harrison. It's well welcome, Dre. Heidi, hi. We will calm down from last week. I, at, least, at least I certainly hope so. Um, no angry emails in the inbox this time around, so I think we got right. away with it. Yeah, the Cal Crutchlow social media team didn't come after me, so I think we got away with it on this one, Lewis. But we did apologise to him in the show title, so we... Yeah, you know, we, 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 we can make out like we dedicated it to him. Yeah, no irony yeah. in that at all. Uh, no. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's funny you mentioned Cal Crutchlow, because uh, the uh, this week's edition of MCN, which I have uh, referred to already, uh, there's a massive uh, interview, exclusive interview with Cal Crutchlow with the headline, Cal, there was a lack of respect. Um, <laughs> because they devoted more time to Rossi and Marquez than they did to him. You know, um, you know, what, it, you know what it is, Lewis? You, the, with the paper rustle in the background, it was like James Richardson on an episode yeah. of Gazetta Football yeah. Italia. It's like, where's my cappuccino? It's like, it's like Valentino Rossi must be killed by midnight. The Gazetta della Sporto. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, well, that's 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 praise indeed to be compared to him, even if even the man out ten years it is. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that. It's almost like, remember when CM Punk won the uh, WWE title and he was claiming he turned heel and decided that no one was respecting him enough? It's almost like that with Cal. It's like, yeah, I'm leading the championship, which should really be enough, but I want respect, damn it. Don't um, doubt me! Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll talk about that at the end of the show uh, as we look ahead to the Circuit of the Americas. The Grand Prix of the Americas still amazes me. I can't believe we're living in a world where Cal Crutchlow starts this weekend as MotoGP championship leader. Uh, huh? We'll talk about that. Uh, later on. Um, before we get into uh, this show, episode 55, places you can find us, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, on Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. On YouTube, our channel where show highlights have returned over there from our Motorsport 101 podcast. Um, it's youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Our website is motorsport101.net. Um, and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both this show and Motorsport 101, um, which is seemingly twice a week uh, with regularity these days, um, you can uh, back us yes. financially at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 
must spot 101. And we have to mention this because, Dre, a number of people have um, taken the uh, crazy in um, in some ways, but very much appreciated decision to back us financially in this very week. Have you people got, like, nothing better to spend your money on than us? Because like, if so, like, go out there, live a little. Um, again, like, massive thanks over the last week since the last episode we recorded to Joe McMillan, to Toki Adoaye, and Henry Chapman, all for joining us, joining us as Patreon backers, two of those at the $10 level, which means you're in our Discord server, um, which um, is just a cesspool at this point, to be honest with you. But um, it's it's a good time for all involved. And again, thank you all so much for, for the mushroom-clouded explosion um, of, of support on Patreon. It's like it's like Raymond Van Barneveld playing in Holland all over mm-hmm. again. It's fantastic. But um, thank you all so much for that. It really does go a long way hopefully i'll be up i'll be up, 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 up upgrading my audio very very soon probably in the next week and a half or so so stay tuned for that um so but um and that, and that is partly down to you guys so thank you all so much for that and you know allowing us to reinvest in the show and what we do it's it, it's 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 an honor it really really is so thank you all so much for that and please find something better to spend your money on yeah um, huge thank I'm, you I'm not, sure, I'm not sure we're worthy of this no, no, huge <laughs> thank you to all of you that have uh, that have backed us on patreon this week and uh that continue to back us uh, on patreon as Trey mentioned you you'll get access to our patreon server if you back us uh ten dollar level is it Dre, um for access to the patreon server Mundo, yes um so um so yeah that's that's a perk for you which enables you to listen live to these shows as we recorded and we're going to be um recording bike live very soon through the patreon server as well we currently do this through skype um monosport 101 and bike live will be recorded through there and what we'll try and do is try and tweet you out um, or at least let you know in that said server when those shows are going to be recorded um, yes. so you have the chance to um, lock in if you want to listen to these live and hear all the uh, outtakes that I uh, uh, managed to cut out before we send this show onto SoundCloud um, yeah, you'll be able to, there's, uh, there's gallons worth it's well worth the extra money <laughs> Yeah, you'll, uh, you'll be able to listen to these shows as they happen which includes two of them um, for Motorsport 101 this very week episode 133 and 134 um, we'll talk about 134 in a moment, Drake, because that was focusing on Formula E and IndyCar, which both happened last weekend. But episode 133, talking about the Chinese Grand Prix, where absolutely nothing of interest happened. Um, but it no, also, nothing. that episode did feature the return of our favourite canine character. <laughs> Floyd. Yeah. Oh, how dare Floyd upstage me? Like, Zoe Hamilton's he dog is a rat. in the outro. It was amazing. Jesus, like, like it's, the, the timing of it was just impeccable. It's like we have Michael Barrymore in the background. It was fantastic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like how dare Floyd upstage me? That that I'm, I hope I hope that dog like ruins Zoe Hamilton's bed sheets later this week as, as, as an act of revenge. But um, yes, episode one thirty three of Most of One will be live by the time this episode goes out. Um, recording this on Friday, so it'll be out April twentieth. So, so that'll be tomorrow. But um, yeah, that will be all about the Formula One Chinese Grand Prix, which um, our beloved Valtteri was robbed by a raging Daniel Ricciardo. He had one of those races again. You know, Daniel's good for about two of those a year, where it's just like, oh, look, all hell's break, the Hogan loose. Oh, look, somehow, by all accounts, Daniel Ricciardo is at the front of the field, because of course... Best overtaker in the business. 
He is. He, he, he really, really is at this point. Like, like I can't stand him for it. God damn him. But um, yes, the, 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 obviously the epic comeback of Daniel Ricciardo. Max Verstappen actually gets penalised for a bad overtake for once. And um, many expletives were shared on my end on that one. Um, so all of that, obviously the safety car that was seen around the world. Pierre Gasly taking one for the team and actually making an interesting race. Um all of that and a lot, lot more from the Chinese Grand Prix on episode 133, which is live right now. Yeah, so do yeah. check that out uh, when you can. Episode 134 potentially will also be live by the time you listen to this. That covers um, the two others in the triple crown of uh, Motorsport 101, IndyCar and Formula E. Um, Formula E, where Bird was the word once again, um, this time in Rome, and Long Beach, where another Rossi, one Rossi, did uh, leave America very very happy which may can be more than be said for the one that we're going to talk a little bit about uh towards right. the, end of the show alexander rossi uh, on this occasion tasting victory at long beach Drake. he did indeed a, a, a dominant victory i think it was something like 74 out of the 95 laps alex rossi um led in never like he wasn't going to win that race um fantastic drive from him willpower in second we've upgraded uh ed jones from a fledgling um dubai driver to uh Plucky Brit uh, on, on on the note of his first in or second, should I say, IndyCar podium drive. Yeah, first on the road course indeed. Obviously, his first since the Indy 500 last year. He somehow finished in third. That was a fun one. Um, but uh, yes, all of that as well as Robert Wickens' luck finally running out. Well, I say finally, but you could kind of make out this entire season's been like that so far. <laughs> um, you, you can make a case on that one. Uh, Graham Rahal basically plowing Simon Pagano into oblivion and probably an early contender for pass of the year from Sebastian Bourdais even though it didn't count technically. Um, all of that and a hell of a lot more, again, for episode 134 of that, and obviously a full review of Formula E in Rome with Hazel Southwell, somehow not in an airport this week. Um, it, it's very off-topic. RJ does his best to fit in with ambience. It's great. Um, so all of that and a lot more in episode 134, and that'll be out later this weekend. Yeah, Felix was robbed, by the way. Um, we'll yes. talk, we'll talk, so listen to that in episode 134 of Motorsport 101. Check it out. When you can, right then, let's crack on with the first of our two co-main events, if you like, here on episode 55 of Bite Live. We're going to give top billing to BSB this time and head back to Brands Hatch Indy uh, last Sunday for the third and fourth races, round two of the British Superbike Championship. Um, and as I mentioned in the intro, we could chalk this one up for the old guard as the uh, two title front runners from last season, Shane Byrne and Leon Haslam, uh, took a victory apiece. We'll, we'll start with race one, Dre. Um, and... I mean, we spoke pre-show before we record this. It's, it's mm. kind of the way with Bike Live, where we often get a lot of the good stuff into the uh, pre-show before we even hit the record button. Um, oh, no, it's but, terrible, uh, isn't it? but, uh, but in terms of Brands Hatch Indies a circuit, I'm still sort of on the fence as to what I think of it. I mean, James Whitson made a very good point in commentary on Eurosport last weekend that if, in a true championship of any nature in motorsport, you have to visit different types of circuit and different venues and all sorts, like Cadwell mm-hmm. Park and Silverstone couldn't be more different uh, and so on. Now, Brands Hatch Indy... Um, is a very unique challenge. We've, we've mentioned it in the past how it's the closest thing that British Superbikes has to an oval track. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, as we saw, particularly in race one of the weekend in the battle between Bradley Ray and Cheeky Byrne, it's a bitch to overtake on. It is. It's, it, it is a bastard on that department. Um, again, like James, James made some very valid points. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like The value of the championship is absolutely seeing... All of a different variety of circuits and, and the context of bike racing, that's often great. 
because you can often see, you know, different kinds of track and seeing different bikes performing different places. It can be useful. Um, Brands Hatch Indy probably isn't the best or most shining example of this because because it is a glorified oval, because it's a 50-second lap, um, because there is, there's only one really heavy breaking point on circuit where you can realistically make a pass, it's problematic when it comes to passing people, especially in the dry. And the wet, as we saw in race two, it definitely opened things up a little bit more, and that was and that's what made it more entertaining. But race one, it was pretty much everybody holding their lines for the vast majority of that race until um shaky made his made his made a yeah, almost he was almost gifted that one really um when bradley ray went right, right on turn one at the but also a lap probably the first mistake the kids made all season for yeah. that poor guy but um <laughs> but um yeah as i said it, it opened the door for him pretty much and there was no going back from there so yeah, it's a, it's 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 a difficult one to to put it, to put your finger on because obviously it's not like that um Brands Hatch Indy is again is not the most conducive circuit to racing, but hey, um you know it, it is what it is. It's on the calendar and it was a decent spectacle. It was. It was a good spectacle and in terms of in terms of Shaky Bird and Bradley Ray, I mean they had the race pretty much to themselves from the front of the from the front of the race. They broke away very early on. And Jason O'Halloran, we'll talk about him in a moment, but he thinks the lack of overtake opportunities around Brands Hatch Indy cost him a shot at the win because he just could not get past Haslam um, right. for, for such a long time, early part of that race. And by the time he got past, he had pace comparable to the front. So in fact, he was starting to chase them down towards the end um, of race Indeed. one, but he just didn't have the time to catch them back up because he'd lost so much time trying to overtake the uh, JG Speed Fit Kawasaki early on. But as I say, we got the first chance to see a battle between um, the past, present, and future, I suppose, in many ways, of British superbikes and superbike racing in general uh, from a British sure. point of view, maybe not just in the British Championship. And um, it, it kind of takes me back to 2013. Bex will remember this um, when she returns to the show. She'll probably uh, wax lyrical about this when Alex Lowe's won his title. Um, and we saw some great battles through that season between Lowe's and Shane Byrne. Mm. Um, and a great battle between Bradley Ray and Shaky Bun on this occasion, Dre. And, and from Bradley Ray's point of view, he didn't win the race. He finished second. And in the end, I think rather than any kind of inexperience, the pressure told um, from Shaky Bird, who was just relentlessly chasing him down and putting the pressure on for lap after lap. And trying to hold that off for 30 laps, no matter who you are, is a tough challenge. Um, around, yeah. Particularly around Brands Hatch Indy, which is just nonstop. You're always on the move. You're always doing something. There's no real moment to breathe. Uh, around Brands Indy. Um, and although he didn't win the race, although he finished second, and of course he had a slightly tougher time of it in race two, Bradley Ray kind of made his point, didn't he? Because he proved mm. that the first weekend at Donington Park was no flash in the pan. He's no one-trick pony. He is a legitimate title favourite. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like if anything, it wasn't the win. And yes, Bradley made an honest-to-God mistake that probably cost him the victory here. It's still 20 hard-earned points. And as you said, it is absolute walking proof that, yeah, like, like you said, Donington was no fluke. He really is a title contender, if not the favorite for the championship right now. Um, that Suzuki is no slouch. It's clearly improved from last year. It's You've had two very different circuits out there on the calendar. And Suzuki is have is two perform- more different circuits, could you? Yeah, yeah. They, they have both they have performed very, very well on both of them. It is competitive as an all-round package, it seems. And, you know, if Bradley is half the rider he was towards the end of last season, there's no reason why, at worst, he'll be in the top three of the championship. That should be the minimum requirement now because that Suzuki is a rocket ship. And 
Bradley is doing very, very good work in there. And the thing I like about it is that he's completely fearless. He's not intimidated mm. by these top-tier dudes at all. And, yeah, you could say he made a mistake on, on lap 29 of 30 to let Shaky through, but that would have been a tough ask for anyone in that field to hold off Shaky for 30 laps um, around any sort of circuit, let alone brands actually where one mistake could very well be your last um so yeah you're holding off the standard bearer of british superbikes for the last decade and a half (laughs) pretty much yeah that that is that is a challenge for any rider no matter how experienced you are um and bradley Mm. at the age of 20 just continues to impress and yeah in the dry conditions he was as fast if not faster than anybody out there because he took pole position brilliantly uh, on the saturday afternoon um, and then led for 95% of race one in the dry. Had a slightly tougher time of it in race two, but again, I kind of showed his maturity by just banking the points, knowing that this wasn't a day to be you know, throwing it at the scenery. This was a day just to be getting the points on the board. He brought it home in seventh, um, and he'll probably take that. And a good weekend for Suzuki, all told, as well, because it has to be said, Dre, I mean, we're skipping ahead a bit, but from race two's point of view, um, Bradley Ray didn't really feature at the front of the race, but Bilbao Suzuki still could have won that race because until he hit the deck, Richard Cooper was right in the mix. Cooper was right up there. It's like Cooper was leading the race on uh, for a good chunk of the early going of that race. It's like, hey, in guys, the... the kid's got a teammate too. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, Cooper's here. He's won a race before. He's pretty good too. Um, yeah, Richard Cooper is no slouch by any stretch of the imagination. And um, I didn't have him down as a, as a, of a specialist, mind you. But oh. as you say, in the early going, he was looking very strong. And even in the end, the build base team could have easily had a win from the other rider in that team as well. But unfortunately, he got he got ganged up on a little bit there in, in the middle of going of that and then eventually crashed, trying a little bit too hard around, around clearways, unfortunately. But yeah. Uh, um, a solid performance from Cooper. Um, you'll, be, you'll be gutted he didn't take any sort of result away from that because that could have easily been a top six onto the field, sh- settled down a little bit there because it was very aggressive in the early going. Yeah, um, in the end, we got what became a three-man three battle for the victory as the front three broke away um, towards the end. That front three was Haslam, Irwin, and Laverty. Um, Leon Haslam betting against two Ulstermen. Uh, Glenn Irwin looking to complete a, a team double, if nothing else, for the BYU Ducati team, even though it would have been different riders winning the race. So Michael Laverty, um, part-time BT Sport Moto GP pundit um, in his spare time, uh, chasing his first win since he won at that very circuit on the GP layout, I think, uh, end of 2016. Um, and we'll talk about the riders involved a little bit later on, Dre, but... Uh, mm. Another brilliant race, I thought, and a brilliant end to the race. A classy, classy victory um, for Leon Haslam because we saw the tactical sort of plans of both riders unfolding as those those final laps ticked off where um, Glenn Irwin essentially drop-kicked Haslam out of the way at clearways at the end of the penultimate lap to take the lead. Yeah. Um, and as Matt Roberts uh, kind of unwittingly pointed out to Glenn Irwin in his post-race interview, he kind of showed his hand to Haslam um, because yeah. because I think you've got to get up very early in the morning to outsmart Leon Haslam in a motor race. Um, and on the final lap, Haslam had so much more drive coming out of Graham Hill Bend onto the back straight, gone up the inside of Irwin again, and having seen what he'd seen on the final, on the lap before that, Haslam was not going to be done by that two laps in a row. He just parked his Kawasaki on the apex going to the final corner, and Irwin had nowhere to go. As Jack Valentine quite rightly said, Dre, world class from Haslam. Yeah, absolutely right. Again, it's, you're not going to outsmart Leon Haslam in a bike race 99 times out of 100. And yeah, Matt Roberts, I think, summed it up perfectly where he said, listen, oh, Irwin, Irwin did it too soon. Irwin should have saved that for the final lap. Why did you Why did you do that like a lap early? Was 
did Irwin think he had the pace to win that alone? Did yeah. he think that, you know, he was better off at the front? I don't know what what the logic was it that was going through his mind on that one. I mean, we'll never know for sure, I don't think. But as you said, unfortunately, it it gave away his hand. It's uh it it, it, it alerted Haslam that yeah, basically like, try, try that again, Sumbi. Yeah, it's like because Haslam had the run going down towards Surtees or what was like basically half a Surtees, given it's the indie layout. But Irwin was really, really strong on clearways, and like I said, he should he should have saved that for the final lap yeah, because that all looked Haslam like had to do a, was just hold the inside, and Irwin have nowhere to go. Yeah, you can't go around the outside of clearways. It's too wide a corner, and the the undulation is too great. You can't carry enough speed around the outside of that corner to make it work. So if you all you've got to do is just park your bike on the apex on the, on the long apex towards um, the home straight, and you'll be and you'll get away with it scot free basically. So. Yeah, I think, again, Erwin showed his hand a little too early. Haslam knew what he had to do on the final lap to make sure he got the W, and that's exactly what he did. It was a, a classy, intelligent victory um, from Haslam. I think Erwin uh, must have got some sort of nosebleed from running that high up there towards the end there, and probably got a little bit too excited, um, thinking he, he was better off in the front going into the final lap, which, again, is not terrible logic, just not the right play on this occasion. Yeah, no. Mind you, Erwin has won a race before, hasn't he? Of course, he yes. in Silverstone last year. He won, I think, race two from memory he won. Um, so uh, yeah, Glenn Owen knows what it's all about in British Superbikes, and he he's clearly improving. We'll talk about him in a moment. But from Haslam's point of view, um, again, just from scanning MCN, and do you know what? I hadn't re- re- realised this and hadn't thought of this until I've just read this now in MCN. So I'm, g- I'm going to mention it. It, it. It's a nice story in many ways, isn't it, Dre, for Haslam? Because when we think about the fact that the last time he raced at Brands, he left the circuit with his title hopes in tatters and in an ambulance. This is a nice return for Leon Haslam, even if it's on the indie circuit, in the wet. Um, Leon's right back in business. And as he said, this is not the time to be settling for points. This is the time for be, to be winning races and laying down a showdown spot. Um, and he's looking like the rider to along with Bradley Ray and, and Shaky Bird, of course. He's very much looking like the rider to beat. Still early days, but I think those three are the three class acts of the field right now. Um, James Ellison was surprisingly off colour this weekend, which yeah. did surprise me. Um, I thought he'd be up there a little bit more, but turns out he wasn't really. But oh, again, it's still early days. There's still a lot of uh, of racing to go still, but it looks like those three are the consistent three at the top of the pile right now. Bradley Ray didn't have the best time in race two, but still recovered well. A, a good a good damage limitation ride from him. A really good damage limitation ride from Megan. No one's going to scoff at at a top six result most times out of ten, so he'll take that. He'll take that alongside the uh, the second place in race two. Two good results for Bradley. Um, it's in the context of the championship podium credits as well. Can't can't go wrong with that. Um, again, Haslam has been in the mix pretty much every single race bar the first round at Donington, where again they made they made a tire error, and that was as simple as that. Because again, he, there was he was much stronger in race two. So Haslam. Is like it's looking like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Only this time, there's a blue bike in the middle of that mix. Um, in in the case of Bradley Ray, but it's 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 looking a lot like um, Haslam, Ray, and Shaky are probably the three dudes at the top of the pile at the moment. And Haslam says um, he said to all the rush be a bit of MCN post race weekend. He's already saying, and we're in mid April, very early in the season. He's already saying. I'm third in the championship and have the same podium points as Shaky. He's already looking at that 
Um, so mm-hmm. that, that tells you where his mind is at. Um, even at this early stage in the season, he knows that podium points are going to be critical because surely these guys are going to be a part of the showdown unless they get injured. Um, so let's talk a bit more about some of the other riders who were involved in this race weekend. Shaky Bone winning race one from Bradley Ray. Um, Haslam winning race two. Um, we'll start with Jason O'Halloran, Dre, who um, finished on the podium um, in race one. And as we mentioned, looked as quick as anybody on pure dry pace in that first race, but just had to come from four or five seconds back after he'd overtaken Leon Haslam. He deserves mm-hmm. a lot of praise for that performance, Dre, but how do we begin to describe his bizarre tyre gamble in pouring rain in race two on Sunday afternoon to run an intermediate rear tyre? Oh, boy. He got uh, like Bambi on ice. Like, rule number one of bike racing, kids, the intermediate tyre is useless. Do not use it. Um, for some reason, and I'm sure someone smarter than me will be able to explain this, but the intermediate tyre is useless. It has never worked in any form of motorsport, and it should be abolished. It's only a half-hour um, race. It, it doesn't work, for God's sake. Like, even in a, basically a 28-minute superbike race, and it was race two... Jason Halloran was lapped by by mid distance. It was shorter than that because we had the red flag, so it was only twenty minutes. Yeah, God, yeah, because yes, yeah, there was there was a red flag for an earlier incident there. So quite right, yeah, it was a it was a twenty two lap race, I think it was yeah. in the end on the restart. So yeah, it was basically a, a twenty minute race, and yeah, like Halloran was lapped about halfway through, um, <laughs> yeah. and, as, and I think as, as as he realized what was happening, he just parked and was like, you know what, fuck this. Um, <laughs> Has a like, work, guys. I'm not gonna get a lap back. Yeah, we're not getting this lap back. It's not drying out fast enough. Let's just let's just let's just park this sucker and let's 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 start pack up a bit early, uh, basically. Of course, but, he was um, there. He was the sole Honda rider last weekend because of uh, Paul Dan Linfoil. If you missed last week's show, um, mm-hmm. missed the uh, the round at Brands Hatch ED because he, he's basically got a broken neck. He uh, cracked his C six vertebra um, in a crash if he practice. He's out of um, Alton Park as well. The next round of the championship um, due to that. According to MCN, he's hoping to be back for Snetterton, which is in June. Um, so um, we hope Yikes. to see him back soon. But that might be his showdown spot already gone. Um, because he's what a shame, given how strong his first weekend exactly. was as well. He's, he's going to miss a lot of races by the time he returns to the points, uh, to the series. I mean, he's still eighth in the championship, to be honest. He's, on, he's only four points outside the top six as it stands at the moment. So if he only misses Alton, he might well still be in the mix in there somewhere. But... Uh, yeah, a bit of a mixed weekend for Honda. They got a podium in race one from O'Halloran, um, but at the moment they have neither rider in the showdown six at this very early stage. Um, with Brad Ray in there ahead of Shaky Byrne and Leon Haslam. Fourth in the championship at the moment, Dre is the second BYC Ducati of Glenn Irwin, um, who had a strong start to the weekend without really standing out um, necessarily at Donington Park. But he was one of those that when you actually looked at the results at Donington Park, it was like, geez, Glenn Irwin had a really good weekend. Um, at the only round of the season and he built on it at Brantach Indy and it's clear that in wet conditions which let's face it it's a British championship so we're going to see plenty of it Glenn Irwin is as good as anyone yeah he is legitimately a really good whatever rider I think it's just the fact he's friggin fearless and you know he's, <laughs> he's mad has got has probably got no feeling in his neck at the moment, bless him. But, um, yeah, just completely fearless um, in the wet. Again, like, just great wet weather pace. Um, and as you say, like, yeah, he didn't really realise it, Donington, but he had a pair of solid results in there. Um, didn't put a foot wrong, really, out there. They didn't have the one outstanding result that would, you know, take a couple of quadrum inches away from somebody else. But, 
he racked up some solid points, and that's what you need to do when, he, when it comes to fighting for a showdown role. I mean, Peter Hickman was all over this last year. He already had a string of, you know, you know fourths, fifths, sixths, and just stacking them up, and, you know, had the double win at the end, and that pretty much got him over the line for a showdown spot. So, um, yeah, when you, when you add it all up and, and, you, and you realize, oh, wait, Irwin's just been pretty good the whole season so far, it's no, it's no real surprises in fourth when you actually give it some thought. Yeah, and he, he said after the race that he was... He wasn't as gutted as he might have been if it had been a dry race. Because it was a wet race, he was more than just happy to see the checkered flag and not hit the deck. Um, so he'll take the 20 points, um, which put him in a very, very good position at the moment in the championship. Um, he's fourth, just ahead of fifth-placed Michael Laverty, um, who's up in the showdown positions after a podium finish in race two. This is a rider, Dre, who, as well as being a brilliant pundit in 2018... Yes. Um, he seems, Michael Leverty just seems to me, more than anything else, because we know how good a rider he is, we know he's a class rider in British Championship uh, level, he just seems like the rider who is just backing the right team on the right bike again. It looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, again, again, was very strong in race two, had a claim to win in that race, led, I think, more laps than anybody else in race two, and Silverstone was very strong at the, in the end. Yeah, like you checking out. Yeah, like at one point, they did look he had a few extra bike lamps on the field, but they they were able to claw him back in as the race went on. But um, as you say, a very solid performance from Michael Laverty. Um, he's capable of this. He's always been capable of, of, of this level of race. When he won here on the full circuit in 2016, so it, it's not that he's not capable of it. He is very much capable of it. Um, so yeah, like again, not entirely surprised, but we know he's, he's know his quality. But again, it's nice to see Laverty seemingly on a competitive package again, and hopefully, it won't be the last time we see him on the podium this season. Yeah, I mean, we will talk about the team that he's uh, he left at the end of last season in a little bit, and uh, how uh, their fortunes seem to be uh, fluctuating. Um, so um, that might well vindicate Laverty's decision to go back to Tycho. Um, joining him in the top six then is Christian Iden, who, again, much like Erwin at Donington Park, had a very, very consistent weekend. Fifth and sixth um, for Christian Iden. He doesn't really have the podium points to show for it at the moment, Dre, but as Peter Hickman proved last season, that sometimes is the way to locking down a showdown spot. If you can consistently finish in around that top six position, that's that's an e that's a surefire way to have yourself in and around the showdown spots. And Christian Nidden, I mean, injuries really cost him a showdown spot last season. As long as he avoids injuries this season, he's looking good. He's at it again. In with the you know, we just racks up the top fives and you know the the top sixes and doesn't really put a foot wrong. Doesn't very doesn't really crash very often. And that's how Iden does it. That's how he gets over the line. He's done it before. He probably should have been in the showdown last season if it wasn't for that farce of a Silverstone race free in monsoon conditions. But um, as you say, he's capable of it. He's capable of being up there in leading groups. And he's not quite, again, had that one outstanding result yet, but he's racked up good points. And that's what you need for a showdown spot, especially at least where I'm sitting. I think the top three in the showdown is probably going to be locked in at some point between Ray Hazem and Shaky. I mean, that means there's going to be three spots for the rest of the field and in should be able to make a claim for one of them. Yeah, at the moment, those other three spots are Erwin, Laverty, and Iden. Um, so let's try and talk of some of the riders who perhaps should be in there that aren't, um, even at this very early stage of the season. Uh, Jake Dixon's one of them, who I picked as my sort of dark horse title favorite, title pick at the start of the season. Um, and he's he's looked good at various stages, Dre, but he's making the, the, the key error at the moment of showing very strong pace in just about every race of the season and not converting it into any points. 
Points win prizes, my friend. And uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a poor conversion rate. His one lap speed is clearly excellent. As, as, as good as anybody's in the field, he's capable of making of making the final shootout and qualifying more often than not almost every weekend. But it's just not good enough at the moment for him. He needs to start converting his results over because if he keeps falling backwards during the race, then he's never going to make the showdown. Mm. That's two race two crashes now for Jake Dixon crashed out of what I think was sixth place in race one and crashed out of the so, leading uh, yeah. group um, in race two, where if he'd have just finished at the back of that leading group in fourth, um, give him those 13 points in the championship and he would be um, right on the fringes of the shot top six at the moment. So Dixon needs to start converting this undoubted pace he's got into some points. Um, in terms of another rider, though, who we perhaps think should be in the showdown, I'm not so sure we could say the same thing in terms of having the pace, just not the points to show for it. Josh Brooks... Um, who mm. was was knocked out, and I can't believe I'm saying this, he was knocked out in Q1 last weekend right. at Brands Hatch Indy. Qualified 20th, I think it was, uh, last weekend. And finished the first race in the back end of the points, was only 13th. And then, I mean, he showed his class in race two in wet conditions, drank that Yamaha up to fifth. Um, but in many ways, Dre, that's papering over the cracks, isn't it? It certainly feels that way. And I saw Brooks's tweets after the race weekend where he said, you know, the team had given him every chance to succeed. He was very complimentary about the effort that his team had put in um, trying to get him up the field. But I repeat what I said last last weekend at Donington about Brooks's opening weekend, it looks like there's something fundamentally wrong with McCams. Mm. And I know he clawed his way back into P5, and I think that was a lot more down to the person who rode the bike um, on, on, on that weekend now, where it, you know, it, 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 it felt like his skill had brought it up there rather than the bike itself. What, um, was, what was weird, though, just to, just to interject on that, was mm. that in qualifying, he was out-qualified by his teammate in Taron McKenzie, who's a BSB mm. rookie, and Taz McKenzie finished two places higher in race one in the 11th. He did as well. And yeah, it, it doesn't add up to me that that's a thing with Brooks. And like I said, I, I don't think there's a man on the planet that knows that R1 better than Josh Brooks does, given he won a championship and one that he was on. He, he's had key roles in that bike's racing development as time has gone on, um, which makes it all the more confusing that he's struggling so much. Um, I, think what back, I think what backs you up in that, you know, this team's clearly something's fundamentally wrong is that the team, you know, quickly at the last minute rushed a new swing army on Sunday morning. Um, huh? and, and, and they fitted that to the bike. Um, you know, they essentially went back to basics. They went back to the factory or reverted from the factory swing arm to a standard R1 um, version of a swing arm. Uh, and bolted that to the bike <laughs> on the day of the racing. Um, so this is clearly a team that doesn't quite know, fundamentally, why they're slow. Um, and and, and what's, what would worry me, Dre, from, from Brooks' point of view, is that history would tell us that he always gets better as the season goes on. I mean, think he of does. his title-winning season where he finished it unbeatable. He was unbeatable at the end of the season. Even last year, he was in and around the showdown, the sort of top six positions in races, and then ended it as a regular podium man. There's no doubt in my mind that he'll get better as the season goes on this year. My worry for Josh Brooks is, I mean, even at this early stage of the season, he's, where is he in the championship? He's down in 11th, and he's currently uh, 10 points off the showdown six. I've got no doubt that Josh Brooks will find the right formula eventually. My worry is, by the time he finds it, even the top six might be out of reach. 
yeah, he's he's losing ground quickly, and he shouldn't be, really. Again, the blessing is it's early days, and we've had a few extra dudes on the podium that we probably didn't expect through the first four races. Um, but he's probably Brooks only got, got three spots to aim at. It's looking that way. It's looking that way quickly, and it's it's looking like the Anvil tag team with Ellison looks like it could be the stronger team at the moment that's, that's running these R1s, because... Um, at the moment, um, Brooks looks inconsistent. And if a team is changing such a vital part of the bike, the swing arm on Sunday morning for a standard R1, so your factory racing swing arm has been proven to be ineffective. What does that say about the state of your team or the parts that you're getting if you're making such drastic changes on the day of the race? It's 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 an eyebrow raiser, to say the least. It just shows us that the factory support isn't the be-all and end-all. <laughs> Um, in British Superbikes, as it perhaps um, might you might think it would be at first glance. Here's how the race is then ultimately finished. Shaky Bone, the winner of race one from Brad Ray. Um, Jason O'Halloran on the podium in third, just ahead of Haslund. Christian Eden, fifth. Uh, Jake Dixon, sixth. Glenn Irwin, seventh. Ahead of Michael Laverty. Tommy Bridewell on the Suzuki. And Peter Hickman on the BM in tenth. Taron McKenzie on the Yamaha in eleventh. Ahead of Danny Buchan. Josh Brooks, 13th, Kuba Smirts, 14th, and Luke Mossy, double winner last year, only 15th. Um, he wasn't much better mm. in race two either. Uh, Leon Haslam winning race two, teammate two, Mossy, of course. Glenn Owen, second, from Laverty in third. Shaky, fourth, Brooks, fifth. That's his best result of the season so far, and it might remain that way for quite a while if uh, current form is any indicator. Um, mm. Christian Eden, sixth, Brad Ray on the seventh, ahead of Bridewell, Taz McKenzie in ninth, and Carl Phillips, a fantastic tenth on the Gearlink Kawasaki. Um, James Ellison, 11th. That was as good as it got for him all weekend. Uh, with Danny Buchan in 12th again. Luke Mossy, 13th. Hickman, 14th. And Taylor McKenzie, brother of, uh, on the Motor Rapido Ducati in 15th position. Championship standings then, four races in. Bradley Ray leads it. Uh, his lead, though, has been cut to 10 points over Shaky Burns. 79 plays 69. Haslam on 65 in third. Then a bit of a gap to Owen in fourth on 48. Uh, Michael Lanty fifth on 36. Christian Iden rounds out your showdown six at the moment on 33. A point ahead of O'Halloran in seventh. Limfoot's eighth on 29. Then comes Mossy and Danny Buchan, who completes the top 10 on 24 points. Yeah, he's top 10 in the championship at the moment, ahead of the two leading Yamaha riders. And astonishingly, despite what we've said in the last five minutes, Josh Brooks is the leading Yamaha rider in the championship, uh, which shows <laughs> how poor a weekend Ellison had at Brands. Um, Brooks has 23 points in 11th. Ellison, 21 points in 12th. Jake Dixon, only 13th on 19 points at the moment in the British Superbike Championship. In the Super Sport class then, um, just before we move on, we saw victories uh, in both races for Jack Kennedy, turning the tables on Ben Curry, who won both races at the opening round um, of the British Super Sport Championship at Donington Park. Um, Curry taking second in race one uh, of the weekend, only third in race two, Dre, and we're going to mention this because we love this guy on this show. The reason Ben Curry can only manage third in race two as opposed to second is because a certain James Raspoli split the two time yes! defenders up. All hail the man with the foam fingers, the American <laughs> attitude, the crazy interviews, and the fan-signed helmet. James Raspoli just does shit differently. Um, <laughs> and that's why we love him. Um, <laughs> like, James Ellison was gushing about him like an adopted child on Instagram, and it was fantastic. He's he's such a vibrant talent, and he's, he's such a, a valuable, charismatic guy that the BSP paddock needs. His, his post-race interview was fantastic and i know like the team he's riding for have had it hard 
um, to say the least, um, for the last year or so. Um, so they were celebrating that second like it was a, like they just won the championship. They were over the moon, and it was it was lovely scenes to see. Um, James, like, who's getting he's had a real dog's dinner of it the last year or so. Again, it's had potential for great results, but never really followed through on a, on a lot of his talents. But it all finally came together on that one. A brilliant second, and one well, great to him and the team. Fantastic result. Yeah, he's looking good. Jack Kennedy leads the British Super Sport Championship at the moment uh, with ninety points. He is four clear of Ben Curry at the moment. It's very early stage. Those two are broken clear from the rest of the pack. Ross Twyman, um, who had podium uh, podium finish in the first race of the season at Donington, he is third. The Rocket Rispoli is fourth on 40 points, um, with Tom, Tom Oliver fifth, James Westmoreland in sixth, um, ahead of David Allen and Bradley, Bradley Jones, Bradley Perry, Robert Kennedy and Tommy Phillip, who round out the top ten in the British Super Sport Championship. Uh, next round of the championship, um, and that covers all classes, including the uh, British Super Sport, Junior Super Sport, Stock 1000, Stock 6, Ducati Triopsons Cup, and British Talent Cup championships. Uh, British Talent Cup there next out at Donington at the end of May. Next round for the BSB calendar is on the May Bank Holiday weekend, so a couple of weeks from now. That is at Alton Park. Switch our attentions from British Superbikes to World Superbikes because they had their first European round of the season at Motorland Aragon last weekend. And another brilliant weekend of World Superbike racing. We're really having a cracking season of it so far. Um, Leon Cami have been having a cracking season of it, but unfortunately that all changed at Aragon. I mean, the sea, the weekend seemed to start pretty well for them, Drake. So we had a bit of trepidation about this team because they, they took the change that the uh, Suzuki team famously made a couple of years ago where they changed electronics mid-season and then were never seen again. Um, Honda have done that with the Red Bull team. They've changed from the Cosworth electronics to the Magneti Morelli electronics, which they were going to have to change to next season anyway. So they've changed now. Um, so they have a bit of time on it. And we kind of feared that they may struggle. They didn't. Has uh, Camille, should I say getting the wrong Leon, uh, was still competitive right throughout the weekend. But unfortunately, uh, the guy who's been brilliant all season saw his season come to a rather shuddering halt. Yeah, a awful, awful looking accident. Um, Jeez. Um, Camia was, the, the race was red flagged. Um, Camia was badly hurt. I mean, I'm, I'm glad race control got it right this time. Red flagged that shit immediately. Um, it was a bad one. Um, he had to be taken to hospital. Um, luckily, folks, he is okay, which is good to see. I mean, relatively speaking, he's okay. Um, Cracked ribs and a bruised lung. Nah, that's nothing. Yeah, by, <laughs> no, by British simple, by, by, motor, by motorcycle racing standards, that's not a lot. Yeah, it's 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 a slightly broken toe. We'll be back in about a week. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I'm very glad that was the worst of it for Camia, and it's uh, I'm sure he'll be back later on in the season. He's probably going to miss a round or two, but yeah, he's uh, this weekend. indeed. I mean, um, Honda teams only going to be running Jake Gagner in there this weekend. So just just the one bike for a uh, Red Bull Honda team this weekend. But um, yeah, get well soon, Leon Camille, because that was a nasty one. Mm. Yeah, he qualified ninth on the grid, did Camille, straight through to Super Pole. To Jake Gagne, 
um, qualified 13th. He only just missed out on Super Bowl 2. So it didn't appear on the face of it as if that Rebel Honda team were any less competitive, really, than they've been for much of the season, um, which is encouraging signs given they've made such a drastic change to their bike since the last round um, in Thailand. And yeah, just to uh, underline Dre's point, uh, Gagne will be going it alone for the Red Bull Honda team at what is, in a roundabout way, their home race weekend this weekend at Assen because it is the 10 Carte team that runs it, which are based in the Netherlands. Um, so unfortunately for them at their home round, Close they're going to be running. Um, they're going to be running just the one bike at Assen, um, and that will be Gagne. Essentially, basically, it's back-to-back weekends for World Superbike because they just did not have time to identify a replacement that was available, given that MotoGP are also in action this weekend. Um, so uh, Gagne goes to the loan for them this weekend. We'll talk a bit more about Assen um, later in the show. Um, but as far as Aragon goes, Dre, um, Marco Melandri taking pole position on the Saturday. Tom Sykes kept waiting again um, for the all-time record Super Pole, taking it from Troy Corsa. He might get it this weekend in Assen. Um, and it was you kind sure of... That? We, well, I mean, it's his qualifying pace isn't the issue, I think. We'll talk about him a bit later. But... Um, <laughs> But in terms of, we, we kind of flagged this up on last week's show and it kind of played out exactly as we thought in Super Bowl where Tom Sykes was, what, two tenths up going into sector four of his, what we thought was going to be a pole lap and then he ended up three tenths down on the Ducati. Um, lost end, point four in lost, the final lost sector. the best part, a half a second down the back straight um, to yeah. the finish line. Um, and it soon became apparent in race one that for all the great work that Jonathan Ray was doing, he was seriously swimming against the tide. Um, in race one, up against a swarm of Ducatis. And the fact that he won that race and broke the toe from the lot of them leads me to put that, rank that amongst his very best World Superbike wins. Yeah, it was an, it was an astonishing um, victory from Jonathan Ray. I mean, Even by his standards, I was watching that thing. Yeah. How has he done that? Yeah, like, I, like, trust me, it's one of those wins that will not look like it's a big deal on the face of it. But if you break down how this season has gone down, how it's played out so far, and, you know, again, it's looking like Ducati is the way to go at the moment. The uh, the changes to the limits have brought Ducati into play quite hard this season. It's, it's certainly brought riders like, like Xavi Flores into play. Uh, Michael Ruben Rinaldi was competitive in his first weekend with the Aruba Technically, Aruba Junior team, if you want to call it that, um, it's the same goddamn bike. Why do you bother? But um, anyway, like, as you said, it was it's it's the way the field played out, and I think I cracked the code as to how this happened. Um, I was watching qualifying quite intensely. Um, shout out to Greg Haynes, by the way. <laughs> yeah. who, 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 if you, on, if you follow me on yeah, if you follow me on Twitter at Harrison on if you follow me on Instagram at Harrison101, I put a clip of this out there from Eurosport on there. Like, Greg Haynes gave me a shout out, and I pointed out to him that, guys, you do realize Jonathan Ray's half a second faster than everybody else on the race tire, right? And I was like, like, wait a minute, this is a problem. And I I, I think I figured it out. I think Jonathan Ray is is running a higher gear rate, gear ratio than Tom Sykes is. Sykes was topping out at about 300 clicks by the end of Aragon's massive 1.1-kilometre back straight. Ray was hitting 306. Oh, we, um, we saw Sykes running out of top-end piss speed at Phillip Island, too. Yeah, I think Tom Sykes has got the bike hooked up for a very high acceleration sort of setup, where I think Jonathan's compromised a little bit more on that and had to set up that's a little bit more... Uh, friendly towards top end speed but no matter how you look at it because like ray didn't lose anywhere near as much time down the back straight that tom sykes did tom sykes was getting swallowed up by ducati's on the back straight while while ray was able to hold his own for the most part and i think that's the reason why but 
like, again, I said, it's but a yeah, win. We, we, that... st- we still saw in race two, though, didn't we? Where Ray was mm. just absolutely surrounded. He was like, it was a sea of red Swart. behind him. We had we had Davies, Melandri, and Forres, all on essentially factory Panagales, right up behind him. And I just watched that thinking, they're all swarming behind him, thinking, how's Johnny Ray going to win this one? Like, this is, if, if anything proved that it was a Ducati circuit, it was that. Um, I, and the best analogy, or the best way I can phrase this is, Ducati had the best bike at Aragon, Kawasaki had the best rider, by a mile. Um, yes. And, and that was what swung it, because... It was clear that if Jonathan Ray had a Ducati right behind him on the back straight on the final lap, he was not going to win the race. The only way he was going to win that race straight was to break them and gap them. That was exactly what he did. I still don't quite know how he did that. Um, it's one of those things where it's like he, he had to have been going so fast on in terms of just raw cornering and apex speed that... Um, yeah, he must, he must have been able to break him out so he wasn't losing as much time. And obviously, by the time he broke the toe, that was it. You're not going to beat Jonathan after that one. If he breaks the toe, you're done, basically. Because he, he's such he's such a metronome at the front once he gets in clear air like that, that he's almost impossible to beat. And that's exactly what happened. Which, again, as you say, it was a sea of red behind him. Um, just Ducati's left, right, and centre. been the story of this championship so far is that Ducati are swarming to get to Jonathan Ray, and they can't beat him consistently. It's just like last year again. Jonathan Ray left this weekend with 45 points, and that was about as good as what Johnny could have asked for, really, given the state of play right now in the field, given that Kawasaki... Well, I thought look, he could get. Yeah, well, exactly. It looks like Ducati like, like has the stronger bike. So when you weigh that up, and given the strength of Ducati's in the field right now, given that it's Chaz Davis' signature circuit, um, given that Marco Melandri had the best one-lap speed all weekend, was in the mix, especially in race two as well, he's done a f- sensational job to get 45 points out of the weekend and to win race one, especially in the in the fashion of how he did. I mean, Ray said he had a plan. He stuck to it, and it worked. And um, it was genius stuff, and that's why he's the three-time world champion. That he is. He is. He, he is an outstanding rider, stating the obvious. But he could actually, by the end of next weekend, um, tie the record, the all-time record of Carl Fogarty for the most World Superbike race victories. He's just two behind Fogarty now. Um, and if he doubles up at Assen, which he has done several times in the past, um, Johnny Ray could tie the record for the most British, uh, the most World Superbike wins of all time. Um, so we could have two Kawasaki riders celebrating all-time records uh, this weekend. Race two went to Ducati, kind of as we thought, but it didn't go to Marco Melandri, despite starting on pole position for race two as well as race one, which you're not supposed to do under these rules, but Melandri somehow did it by finishing fourth in the first race. Um, he couldn't <laughs> convert it. In the end, it went to Chaz Davies, uh, Dre, and I mean, it wouldn't be Aragon without Chaz Davies winning at least one race, would it? That's seven for him now. Only three things in life are certain. Death, taxes, Chaz Davies wins at Aragon. That's uh, 76 are... years. It's, it's nuts. He is so good around here. Um, it's like it's the one place where for Chaz, just about everything clicks besides maybe Imola um, might be the other one where if the Ducati is, is fit and healthy, Chaz is probably going to win. Um, he is super good at that. Um, and you know what? He had to really earn it this time, to be fair to him. like Again, Jonathan was the threat and, and Jonathan rode exceptionally well um again pretty much all the way through but he was just under a relentless assault from the two ducatis behind him like davis and melandry were both all over him davis had to 
muscle Melandri out of the way to get into second place as it is. Um, trust me, Marco was having none of that. But so I just had to get a hand up to apologize. It was, it was <laughs> an aggressive pass. He just about made it work. Um, but it was it, it was justified. Like Chaz got up there. Punch Jonathan Ray in the nose and forced Ray into a mistake on the final lap going up the hill um, towards the brick wall. Uh, yeah, Ray runs it wide, trying to you know outbreak himself down the, down that long sweeping left hander towards the chicane. And yeah, that was the end of the race. But um, yeah, gosh, a, a phenomenal effort from Chaz, and he, he had to be at one hundred and ten percent to beat Jonathan that weekend, and he was this time. Yeah, he was. He was terrific uh, in the end, and. If, if we look at the season as a whole, Dre, we'll, we'll talk Melandry in a moment, but that's that's the second race we came in a row, essentially, where Ray and Davies have split wins, although they didn't exactly match each other's points tally um, in the first round, in the second round, should I say, at Borough Rounds, of course. Jonathan Ray was only fourth um, in race mm. two that weekend, whereas Chas Davies was third in the uh, first race of the weekend uh, that Johnny Ray won. Um, <laughs> but they've matched each other in Aragon, 45 points apiece. Um, Jonathan Ray leads Chas Davies by 12. Um, coming out of Aragon, and it has to be said, and we haven't really said this in the last three years on this show with regards to the World Superbike Championship, but looks like we've got a title race on. It looks on, people. It looks on. It it looks like Chaz has come to play this season. Um, the fact that Chaz has two in Australia. Exactly. That was a race he very easily could have won. Um, if Chaz doesn't have that DNF, he's probably leading the championship by a dozen points by now. Um, as you said, it, it looks on. Chaz looks very strong this year. I mean, take that retirement out of the equation. He's been on the podium every other race this season. Um, he's not he's not made very many mistakes at all, and he's won the races he's been able to win. If he's been given a chance, he's taken it, and that's that's a good sign. And Chaz needs to do that all through the season to realistically have a chance because we know. Jonathan is going to be ultra consistent. He will maximize almost every result he can get on that Kawasaki. And the way the season's playing out, it's looking like like it looks it's looking like Dorna was a little bit too harsh towards Kawasaki at the start of the season because mm. they've given Kawasaki and all the other runners besides Ducati's V4 Panagale, they've given them all 250 RPM back on their yeah. rev limits. Um, everybody's got 250 RPM back, so it's looking like Kawasaki on paper should be stronger around Nassen this weekend because they've given them some of their revs back. Which, which isn't um, really a power track anyway, is it, Assen? It's, it's no. a very much a flowing corner speed track which should suit the Kawasaki's and shoot, John, suit Jonathan Ray. Um, and it has to be said, and we'll, we'll cover Sykes in a second, but um, I hadn't really thought of this, and it kind of just it, it illustrates just how Tom Sykes has struggled since Phillip Island in that Tom Sykes' major struggles might well help Jonathan Ray here because it's given Kawasaki these 250 revs back because Sykes has been off the podium since the first race in Phillip Island. And it's Ducati who have been monopolizing all of these podium points and these concession points which determine which bikes get their revs uh, reduced or which bikes get their revs handed back in the case of Kawasaki uh, and the rest. Um, so, um, yeah, Kawasaki's struggles on the other side of the garage are certainly play into their hands because they've now been given a bit of allowance back again by the regulation. So it is going to be fascinating this weekend at, 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 at Assen and indeed at Imola the next round, which is a famed Ducati track, um, to see just whether those regulations have brought Kawasaki closer on pure pace and pure speed to that Ducati. I say we've got a championship on between Jonathan Ray and Chas Davies. I mean, Marco Belandri is only six points behind Chas Davies in second, 18 off the lead, Dre. 
Um, so we can't exactly rule him out of it yet. But since that brilliant double at Aragon, uh, sorry, that double in Australia at the start of the season, Buriram and Aragon haven't exactly gone to plan for Marco Belandri. He was all at sea in Thailand. And from pole position in both races, he kind of faded late in both races. Would that be a concern for Marco? Because he's still in touching distance of the championship leaders. But if you look at the curve, the two riders ahead of him are both improving as the season goes on, whereas Marco Melendi seems to be fading. It's not ideal. Let's put it that way. Um, it's, it seems to be that, you know, of the four major runners in the championship, you'd expect to be up there with the two factory teams and whatnot. It looks as if, like, Melandri has the worst conversion rate. He looks like, like the third fastest Ducati rider out there to me, behind yeah. Davies and Foros. Yeah, it's looking like he's able to channel an extra couple attempts around one lap, but in the race itself, it looks like he's struggling to, um, you know, to be able to convert that form over a lap. Um, into a consistent race pace. It looks like he struggled in that department, and that bike still got a horrible case of the shakes in Melandri's case. Yeah. So don't, don't like that's it's still it's like, like the way it's going. He's going to have a hellacious accident if he keeps up. They really should get them to the get to the bottom of that, um, and, and you know see if they can figure that shit out. But um, yeah, no matter which way you, you you cut it, it's it's not good at the moment for Melandri because. Like I said, he, he's, his, his overall pace is excellent. It's just he's not converting it into results. I mean, 8th, 7th, 4th, and 3rd since the double at, at Phillip Island. It's not terrible by any stretch. I mean, he's only eight points behind his, behind, only six points behind his teammate so far with the same number of wins. It just seems to be like it just seems like uh, Melandri hasn't got the, that patchwork ability to be able to, you know, scrape a 3rd or a 4th even on a bad day to really get a result out of it. And as I said, I think he's currently the third fastest Ducati rider in the field behind Chaz Levis and Xavi Forez, um, who had another terrific weekend um, for the most part, Dre. Brilliant once again in race one to get on the podium. That's a podium finish in each of the first three race weekends now um, for Xavi Forez. Um, so he is very much a realistic, credible, consistent threat at the front of World Superbikes now. Um to the point where, of course, he crashed out of the lead in race two. Um, and, you know, it would have been a great scene, even if the um, you could pretty much count on one hand the amount of fans in the grandstands around some parts of Aragon last weekend. It still would have, it still would have been a great story for him to take his first World Superbike win on home soil in Spain. Um, Absolutely. But the more and more we watch this guy on a motorcycle, that first win is coming, isn't it? It's it's a matter of when rather than if it's 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 there it's right there he's, he's just got to reach out and grab it it's 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 very much there his pace was excellent his his forming yet again and like him on the podium is no longer a surprise and you know third place in race one was a solid result was I mean he crashed out was it from just off the lead I think it was in race two yeah, um, he was leading I think he was leading yeah he was he Went was down leading the final the, corner yeah. Yeah, went down to the, the same place Chaz Davis binned it last year at um, in race one. Um, yeah, it's just he, I think he must have been just pushing so hard. I mean, take that out of the equation; he's that's not his, finished any that's races. That's the first mistake of, of the year. Yeah, it's the first mistake of the year. And like I said, uh, uh, the other races this year, he's finished in the top five in all of them. Um, can't ask for much more than that in terms of consistency. Yeah, um, he just maybe doesn't quite have the old pace to be able to win right now, but. 
God, it's close. He's doing a fantastic job on that bike. He's really like he is a satellite runner no more. He is as good as anyone in this championship at the moment. Yeah, terrific job for Forrest, and he's he's just fallen away from those top three in the championship because of that. Uh, but he is fourth at the moment. Um, decent enough weekend then for the Yamaha team uh, in Aragon last weekend. Kind of around where you expect them to be at the moment in World Superbikes, around that fourth to sixth row range. Um, with Michael Vandermark in fifth in race one, just ahead of Tom Sykes, with Alex Lowe's seventh, having been passed by Sykes on the final lap. And then in race two, Lowe's taking fourth, just ahead of Vandermark. Once again, Dre, the two Yamaha riders, very, very closely matched and taking or leaving the race weekend with one inter-team victory apiece. <laughs> Yes, um, those two were pounding the lumps out of each other um, that weekend. Those Yamahas, again, are, are very, very evenly matched um, as these as these weekends go on. They're just so close to each other right now. I mean, both of them had a Tom Sykes in the championship as well, so it's not like they're doing a terrible job at it. They just, again, they just don't seem to have quite enough speed. I mean, it, like many people said when these rules came out that this – was going to essentially, um, you know, be the Yamaha meant to be the big winners here, and it hasn't quite turned out like that. The, the testing pace hasn't translated um, to these race weekends, which is a shame because, again, I think the potential is certainly there. It's just, it's just not quite happened for them again here. Unfortunately, like they, they should be, they should be faster than this, and it's not. Mm. It's not it's not worked out for him just yet. So um, so we're still waiting for Yamaha to make that leap, and it hasn't happened yet. But I am all here for the Yamaha off camera inter team. Let's beat the shit out of each other. Race. <laughs> yes. They are fun. Yeah, it's entertaining. <laughs> and uh, speaking of fun, um, in terms of this weekend that's coming up, um, I do hope that a lot of those eleven thousand people who um packed out the arena in orange shirts in Rotterdam uh, for the darts this week. I hope a few of those can um, keep their shirts on and head to Assen for this weekend and cheer on Michael Vandermark. Um, yes, please. Because with a following wind, that guy could be sensational this weekend at Assen. We've seen him come close to winning before there on a Honda. God, I'd love to see Michael Vandermark get that W this weekend at Assen. That would be fantastic. What a story that would be if he could do it. And do not rule it out. It, stranger things have happened than that. Um, and you kind of feel that if Yamaha are going to win anywhere this season, Vandermark and Assen might well be their best shot of them all. Um, and, and they're looking good at this early stage of the season, certainly with the 2018 spec package on the bike that they got at Burraram. They're now looking uh, much more competitive than we uh, than we looked or than we thought they were going to be um, in Australia. Um, unfortunately, it's the opposite for Tom Sykes, who started the season very, very well with a pole position and a podium in the first race of the season in Philip Ireland. Hasn't stood on the podium since then, um, it has to be mm. said. And I was watching races one and two and thinking to myself, I mean, you sort of, when you're watching the race live, you kind of don't quite think as rationally as you do with a bit of sort of thinking afterwards. I was trying to think to myself, Sykes looks done in this town. Um, the way he's mm. going, he looks in trouble. Um, and you know, you've touched on the differences between Ray and Sykes in terms of the way they got their bikes set up and um, Tom Sykes felt he chose the wrong tyre in race two which was why he was so uncompetitive and he completely made a hold except the start which didn't help um, mm -hmm. he, he had the advantage of being on the front row and then quickly pissed it away within 300 yards um, but it almost seems as if that amazing start that he's had and that competitive start that he had in Philip Island where he was legitimately quicker than Jonathan Ray that mm. seems like a year ago 
it seems to it seems like we've returned to the status quo at Kawasaki, where it's like Jonathan Ray is single-handedly keeping this team afloat, and Tom Sykes is the one that's that's struggling here. I mean, like a sixth retirement, sixth sixth the last two weekends. There, the retirement was a technical problem, not nothing to do with Tom, unfortunately, but. He's not the competitive since the opening round. No. Not since the opening race where he was in second place. Um, even in race two in Phillip Island, Jonathan was able to salvage a second place where Sykes finished in fourth. He, just, he wasn't able to cut through the field as quickly, a common Tom Sykes problem in race two. But yeah, he picked it up a little bit towards the end of race two. He caught back up into sixth place. I think he was as low as ninth at one point. Yeah. Um, but um, he was able to claw it back up a little bit and recover some ground. But Sif is not good enough for Tom Sykes. Like, if anything, Sykes has regressed yeah. compared to last season. Where even if he wasn't winning, he was still in the top three or four. With the rev limits now in play, it seems to have really hurt Sykes, especially in terms of overall top speed. Um, so it's, it's it's he's looking like he's got to climb his way back out of this now. It's not it's not looking good for him at the minute. No, um, this weekend I think he's going to be key with Kawasaki getting some revs back. Will that give Tom Sykes some of some of his mojo back and some of his ability to fight at the front again? Because our, our Aston last season was where he took his first pole of last year. Because he has had a pole already this season. It was the uh, the famous pole position that was handed to him um, by Jonathan Ray's post-Super Bowl penalty. Um, when he had that bust up with Chas Davies in Super Bowl last year. Um, so he was competitive at Aston last year. Whereas Aragon has always been a Kawasaki... Uh, a track that Kawasaki have tended to trail Ducati, um, but not to that extent. Um, and that's what will trouble, uh, trouble Tom Sykes. Um, so this weekend will tell us an awful lot, I think, about the rest of his season and if he can bounce back and just basically consign Aragon to one of those bad weekends, which if he's going to win a championship, he probably can't afford because he's already um, some 51 points off the series lead held by his Jesus. teammates, which is a lot at this stage. And he is down in seventh. Um, as Dre mentioned, behind both Yamaha riders. Uh, before we move on then to Super Sport, um, let's talk about the rookie that impressed us last weekend. And the, yes, he was on the best bike in the field, it has to be said, um, mm-hmm. of our Ruben Ducati team. But um, for the Stock Thousand champion of last year, Michael Ruben Rinaldi, not exactly a household name to, to many of us, um, because the Stock Thousand class in World Superbikes um, paddock isn't necessarily televised all that much, so you're going to have to work hard to find it. Um, but Ronaldo did win that championship last season on the stock version of that Ducati Panigale. So he clearly knows the bike. He knows the team because he won it with the Aruba team. Even taking into account all of that, Dre, um, it was his World Superbike debut and he did better than I think we were expecting. Yeah, I certainly thought so. Um, geez, like, like he was, he was again, t- top eight for both races. Fasting qualifying um, was running as high as fourth at one point ahead of the factory Yamaha's. Um, fell a little bit back towards the end, but solid performances all round, really, from Michael Renubin Rinaldi. Again, he looked like he belonged. And again, I know the Ducati is the best bike in the field right now. There has to be something to be said for that. It's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a good place to start off with for sure, but. It was still his first weekend in the series, um, and he rode very, very well. Can't you can't fault that performance from Rinaldi, and uh, he, he picked up some good points on that on that occasion. And he knows, and more importantly, experience. And he's only going to get better from here. Exactly, and uh, as I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago on this show, it's going to be very interesting as the season goes on to track the progress of Rinaldi and see how close he can get to Malandri as the season goes on, because. You've got to think the Aruba team will be looking at that. If Ronaldo's in a position by the end of the season where he's beating Melandri, he might well have his have his ride next year. 
Uh, we will see. Um, here's how the two races finished then in Superbike. Johnny Ray, the brilliant winner of race one from Chas Davies and Xavi Fares. Uh, with Melandri in fourth from the pole. Van der Mark was fifth ahead of Sykes and Lowe's. Rinaldi eighth on his debut. Top back Razgati Oglu, because of Rinaldi's introduction, was not the top rookie on this occasion. He was the second rookie in ninth. Uh, Roman Ramos tenth on the second um, of the independent Kawasaki's that we saw in the field. Uh, rest of the points, Jake Gagne, uh, Jake Gagne in twelfth just behind Loris Baz on the sole BM. Uh, Davide Giuliano back in the class and 13th on the Aprilia um, ahead of Yoni Hernandez and Lorenzo Savadori on the second of the Milwaukee bikes. Uh, race two, Davies the winner this time from Ray. Malandri third, Lowe's fourth, Vandermark in fifth with Sykes taking sixth from Rinaldi on the final lap. Jordi Torres on the MV Augusta in eighth after taking um, that unfortunate trip over Leon Camier in race one. Uh, he was eighth in race two ahead of Rascatioglu and Savadori. Ramos 11th, Gagne 12th. Leandro Mercado, uh, who crashed out of race one, finished 13th. PJ Jacobson on that Triple M Honda 14th. And Loris Baz taking the final point for BM in 15th. Championship standings then. Ray leads it by 12 from Davies and 18 from Melandri in third. Chami Forrest is fourth. Um, that's 38 points off the lead now. Uh, with Alex Lowe's fifth, Michael Vandermark sixth, Tom Sykes only seventh. Leon Camier, despite not scoring in either race because of his injuries, is still in eighth ahead of Rasgatioglu and Baz, who rounds out the top ten. Uh, World Super Sport then, um, last weekend, or as uh, we're increasingly calling it, the Yamaha R6 Cup. Um, yes. Which, uh, which saw another Yamaha winner, but the third different rider on their bikes to win this one. Um, and, and a great storage rate for Sandro Cortese, the Moto3 champion of 2012, who, with a month to go to the start of the Grand Prix season, was left without a ride after Kiefer cut their operation from two bikes to one. Uh, he's found himself a ride in World Supersport with the Calio racing team, made a brilliant start to the season, and he's a race winner at the third attempt. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice feel-good story for Sandro Cortese, who we all know he was a Moto3 world champion and, and, a, and a damn good rider, but it never really worked out for him in Moto2. He never reached a dizzying height that so many predicted he could reach. Um, just a, 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 a bit of a, a, a perennial uh, blue-chip guy in Moto2 that was, had the occasional really good result, but never really um, had consistency to you know, mount a serious title challenge or even... Was an, was an upper elite dude. He just wasn't. He was just caught in in midfield purgatory, which is quite common in Moto2, to be fair. Yeah. Um, so he's gone over to another 600cc class in World Super Sport. He's, he, we noticed right away that he was able to adapt extremely quickly. He got a podium on his debut. Um, it looked like Cortese had taken this by like a duck to water. I know it's partly because it's a Yamaha R6. They are very good at this sort of shit. But... Um, this was this is like it was coming. Um, Cortese's looked fast all season long. He's looked like this was on the table for him, and this is a race where he ended up winning it pretty comfortably in the end. Broke the toe, was able to take the front. No, no, that was was, was no Caracasuda was not really able to mount a challenge on this occasion. Just just took off really. So yeah, Cortese won that pretty comfortably. Yeah, he did. He looked uh, very comfortable. I, I said jokingly how it's essentially a Yamaha series at the moment. We have to pour one out for poor Raffaele De Rosa um, in, in this oh, race at, 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 at Aragon because Yamahas were all over the front of the field, but poor Raffaele De Rosa, who was the only guy able to make that MV Augusta competitive against all of these Yamaha sixes. Um, first of all, he had the executive order carried out on him at the end of the first lap where he led it and then came out the final quarter in fifth. 
um, because they all just swarmed oh. past him um, on the run up to the final corner and then out of the final corner. And then, to his immense credit, Drake, he was still somehow tagging on to that leading group of, of Yamahas, which consisted of Cortese, Caracasulo, Cluzel, and Mayas. And just as he was looking like he was still keeping a, t- keeping a toe and keeping in touch with them, the MV goes pop. Ugh, not again, MV. Oh, very MV. Oh, it's like, it's like this is the most MV thing of all time. For God's sake, MV, why does he keep doing this? We want to support the riders that ride your bikes. It's a Yamaha dominated series. They have five of the top six in the championship right now, and this is what happens again. God damn it, MV. It's it's infuriating watching their riders because their bikes are just not there. And you want him to see him up there. You want to see him succeed, but blech. Yeah, because DeRosa made a fantastic start. He came from the he second row to lead. Um, led well around the first lap and then just got, just got, yeah, he was like back in your box, kid. Um, as a lot of Yamahas went past him on the uh, on the straight to the uh, to start the second lap. And then, yeah, the uh, the plume of smoke which signaled the end of his race, which um, Leon Camillo has seen all too many times. Um, and PJ Jacobson saw last season in the Supersport class. They uh, they don't have a particularly uh, stellar reliability record down there at MV, unfortunately. Um, and Rafa de Rosa has found that out to his cost um, last weekend. Uh, Cortese winning the race then uh, from Caracasulo. Um, who, as a result of that, has moved right into championship contention. It might all be Yamahas at the front of the series, Dre, but it's looking, even without Kinnan Sopoglu, who we'll talk about in a minute, um, we are looking like we're having potentially as many as four riders, potentially five if Cluzel can close the gap, fighting for this championship, because we had Karakasulo finishing second, um, we had Cluzel in third, um, we had Mayas, who struggled perhaps understandably due to the injuries they sustained in a car crash leaving Buriram a few weeks ago yeah um, down in fourth and Krumanaka who pissed away some crucial points by crashing early on the top four are covered by only nine points so they might all be Yamahas but it's not less entertaining for it no you're absolutely right they're all competitive and they're all close right now it's it's a very very close championship at the minute yes it is again as i mentioned the Yamaha's take up five of the top six at the moment and you know it looks like the the big four are, are pulling away and that's obviously my highest cortese krimanaka and Caracasulo, who again have been staple guys in this series apart from cortese who's just jumped in and hit the ground running but yeah, you're you're right. It doesn't make it any less entertaining for the for the fact that there's four different blue and well, well, three blue and one yellow coloured Yamaha out there at the front. Um, it's still fun. It's just maybe you wish we could have a bit more manufacturer coverage that's able to come into play because all of the other manufacturers are struggling compared to this R6, which seems to be a fantastic race bike. Yeah, and and I can't have to say as much as these four are looking very very close and very interesting. The championship contention, the championship battle would be even better if Jules Clausel can get involved in it. It would be fantastic. For God's sake, Jules, get it together. Because this guy is such a hard charger. Got on the podium for the first time this season um, at Aragon. So he's starting to um, get the hang of it and start to convert that pace into points, um, which is encouraging because he looked like he was going to be a podium finisher if he'd stayed on the bike in Buriram. Um So in the end, much as in the first two races of the season, the top four were all Yamahas. Yamaha R6s have finished first, second, third, and fourth in each of the first three races um, in World Supersport. Uh, here's how they finished uh, in Aragon. Cortese, the winner for the first time from Caracasulo and Cluzel, uh, with Mayas in fourth. Kyle Smith, fifth. Um, that's another Yamaha, folks. Uh, with uh, Luke Staple for sixth on the Triumph, fighting a good fight for a bike not named a Yamaha. 
Sheridan Marias, who is the uh, current replacement, perhaps the permanent replacement for Safoglu at Spachetti on the Kawasaki in seventh. Um, why was that guy not in, uh, hired before that? Nicky to the eighth, and West ninth, and Rob Hartog in tenth, which deserves mentioning because he was the leading European Supersport Cup runner. Um, the riders who raised and the okay. European rounds only. He was tenth, just ahead of the recovering Krimenaka. Uh, who crashed on the first lap and recovered to 11th. Uh, the final points were taken up by Loris Cresson, um, Lati the Finn, uh, Canducci the Italian, and Stefan Hill the Brit on the second of the triumphs in 15th position. Championship standings, Mayas leads it on 58, four ahead of Cortesi now, who's up to second, ominously, given that he's only uh, in his third race in the class. He's already second in the championship, just four points off the lead. Krumanak is a further four back in third. Caracasulo is a point behind Krumanak in fourth, so nine points covers the top four. Stapleford is a further 22 points back in fifth. Clozel is up to sixth. Tooley drops to seventh. Kyle Smith to eighth. De Rosa to ninth. And Anthony West is in tenth position at the moment in the championship after three races. And finally, before we move on to what's coming up this weekend, let's talk about the first round of the 2018 uh, World Super Spot 300 class, which uh, got underway last weekend with no fewer than 40 bikes on the grid. It was a brilliant, brilliant race weekend. Uh, go out of your way to find it, even if you might need to find uh, totally legal methods of doing so, because um, Eurosport didn't televise it. Um, it was a brilliant race. It came down to what was essentially a nine-bike battle at the front, um, which was won in the end by Kern Muffles, who is a Dutch rider making his debut in the class on a KTM RC390. Um, which is a bike that we didn't see in the class last season until the final round at Hareth when it made a wildcard appearance, um, despite not being homologated. Um, but they made their entry as a full-time entrant for this season, and Muffles taking the victory, leading a Dutch 1-2. Um, no one said double Dutch. It was a 1-2 for them ahead of last season's race winner at the opening round, Scott DeRue, um, who was out-dragged on the run to the final corner and then beaten to the line. Uh, Muffles winning it by just a couple of hundredths of a second uh, with Root in second. Mika Perez, who was last season on Honda, this season has switched to a Kawasaki. Um, more on that in a second. Um, he took third in the end. It was a very, very close um, leading nine riders across the line. Down to Luca Grunwald in ninth position. Uh, sorry, down to Larrero in eighth position. Just 0.8 of a second covered them. Um, over the finish line, with Muffles winning it from Daru and Perez. Nikita Kalin in the Ukrainian in fourth on another Kawasaki Ninja 400, uh, with Robert Shopman fifth, another Dutchman. Um, Aaron Carrasco sixth after struggling on the final lap. She made a mistake halfway around the final lap, having led on to it. Uh, she finished sixth. Um, then came Glenn Van Stralen on the KTM. Now, he, this was the rider who finished second as a wildcard in Assen last year. Um, he's a full-time rider this season. He finished seventh ahead of Doran Larrero, who came from the front row, finished eighth. Luca Grunwald on another KTM 390 in ninth. And Borja Sanchez uh, in tenth on another Ninja 400. The rest of the points were filled by Valid Khan, another Dutchman, in eleventh. Enzo de la Vega, the Frenchman, twelfth. Danny Valle, thirteenth. Paolo Gracia, fourteenth. And Maximilian Kapler, the German, in fifth. Position in those top 15 points positions, only two Yamahas, um, the bike that won the title last year, you'll remember 13th and 14th for them. Um, we saw three, uh, four KTMs in the points. Um, so by my rough math, Dre, that means nine Kawasaki Ninja 400s in those 15 points positions. And it seems like Race Direction have noticed this, yes, because they announced, um, going into this weekend, thanks to Greg Haynes for reporting this. They are slashing the maximum RPM on these Ninja 400s. 
Um, we saw the pattern trend at the front of the field of the amount of green um, out there for the Kawasaki's out there. They have taken 1,150 RPM off their maximum range to try and bring... Okay, we found out this this bike only revs to eleven thousand. So you're basically taking away ten percent of it of its maximum rev range, which is bonkers. So clearly, Dawn missed a trick with these um, with these four. Yeah, because um, they, they introduced this quite late. They moved from the three hundred last season to the four hundred for this season, and it's clearly caught race direction on the hop. Yes, they didn't see it coming, and they've now had to drastically slash their power to compensate, and there's going to be a lot of pissed-off Kawasaki teams knowing their bikes have been completely nerfed um, like that. But it, had to, it kind of had to be done, really. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because the KTM won the race in the form of the, the Dutchman Muffles, so it would be interesting to see if KTM have their wings clipped um, as the season goes on, because that KTM RC390 won the race uh, mm-hmm. in the end, so... Yeah, I mean, this class, which... First thing I want to say as well on this class, because I, I remember after the first Aragon race last season, the inaugural race in this championship's history, um, and there were criticisms of it from yours truly, um, criticisms that I think were justified based on how that race panned out. Um, but one key stat that I want to mention from this race weekend in Aragon, which I think, Dre, is very encouraging. Yeah. The lap record, the fastest lap of the race in Aragon, was five seconds faster than the fastest lap of the corresponding race last season. That's a lot of progress. That's very impressive indeed. Which is good to see. So um, the Super Sport 300 class, which really came alive as last season unfolded and was brilliant towards the end of the season, um, as it came down to a one-point title de- uh, decider between uh, the eventual champion Mark Garcia and the runner-up Alfonso Coppola. Um, it looks like it's going to be every bit as close this season, which is good to see. Championship standings then, which you, if you listen to the result, you'll know already. Um, but Muffles leads it on 25 points, five clear of Daru. Perez is third on 16, ahead of Kalinin on 13, Shotman on 11, Carrasco on 10, Van Stralen 9, and then Larrero, Grunwald, Sanchez, Khan, De La Vega, Valle, Gracia, and Kapala um, drop down in one-point intervals down to the bottom of the championship standings after one round of this championship. Um, one other class to mention before we move on, and that is the Stock 1000 championship, which made its uh, first round as well. Um, on European soil at Aragon last weekend. And a very familiar name to all of you who've listened to the show in recent years won the race. The German, Marcus Reiterberger, um, form, hey! former World Superbike rider, who, of course, pulled out of World Superbikes very early in last season due to that back injury that he'd sustained at Mizano the year before. Um, he's back as a regular rider now. Um, and he took the victory uh, in the opening round of the season. So congratulations to him. Uh, he awesome. beat the Italian Roberto Tamburini. Um, to victory. Now, you'll uh, as I run through this result, you'll notice a lot of Italian names. It's a very Italian-heavy series. Um, is Stock Thousand, but Reiterberger taking the win uh, for the Altea BMW team ahead of Tamburini in second, uh, Federico Sandy in third position. Um, in the end, um, so uh, that's another Italian completing the podium positions. Um, uh, in third position, um, so Reiterberger, the very narrow winner in the end. Fourth in that race, going to Maximilian Sheep, who's a pretty as lead rider. Um, he was touted as a potential replacement for the injured Eugene Laverty, but they've kept him in their Stock 1000 team. Um, he finished fourth ahead of Florio Marino in fifth, uh, Alessandro Andriozzi sixth, Luca Vitali seventh, Luca Salvadori in eighth, Ricardo Russo ninth, and Xavier Pinsach, uh, the Spaniard, in tenth position. Next round of that class, as well as the other classes in the World Superbike paddock, uh, are this weekend at Assen. Uh, and we'll talk about that now, because um, we're going to talk about what we thought was going to be 
a very significant announcement Dre this weekend at Assen surrounding Kieran Safwoglu. There was initially suggestions that there was going to be a press conference this weekend at Assen. Um, that's now been confirmed by Greg Hayes not to be the case um, surrounding um, Keane and Safwoglu. Mm. Um, but Greg tells us from sources very, very close to the uh, multiple Supersport World Champion that um, over the next couple of weeks, a retirement announcement is imminent. Sigh, um, to say the least. Um, not entirely surprising, given that there's been rumblings of this now for a little while. Um, again, dating back to not just the crash at a Philip Island at the start of the year, but going back to his uh, basically compromised recovery um, from the hip injury he so badly sustained towards the end of last season that ultimately... Um, ended his championship campaign after coming back so strong. He's been dinged up a lot, to say the least, Keenan, in the last year and a half. Um, and I, 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 part of me hopes this isn't the end, but um, the rational side of my brain here is, is screaming at me, saying it's probably for the best. Keenan hangs it up because. For his own health sake, I mean, we, we talked about this a couple of years ago, um, well, a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, where we said, well, we've apparently he's been told by doctors that one more serious hip injury, he might not be able to walk um, afterwards. And that is a terrifying thought, I'm sure, for any human being. I mean, Keenan is still a, a, a man in his mid-30s who still has a lot of life ahead of him, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, I, I can't imagine coming out of bike racing and maybe spending your old years in a wheelchair. Um, that wouldn't be nice, to say the least. And, you know, he's... And, of course, again, we talk about it, Keenan, on a personal level as well. I mean, he's been through so much as well. I mean, the tragic loss of, of his child a couple of years ago was was awful as well. The guy's been through hell and back as a bike rider, as a bike rider on and off the track. Um, and it seems like now is the right time for him to step down and um, let this championship play out. I think it's in very good hands with the likes of Luca Mahias and Rudy Randy Krumanaka and Cortese seems to be a fantastic pull for the series as well. Um, the series is in very good hands. It's more competitive than it's ever been um, at the moment. That's only because Keenan has been so good for such a long time. Um, he is the ultimate so super, super sport rider, in my opinion, um, mm. one of the one of the staples and hall of famers for world superbikes as a paddock in general, regardless of class, um, and to mention as well his contributions to to sports in Turkey in general. He's to, national hero over there. Yeah, yeah, over there he is one of their most beloved sporting stars, and yeah, he is in, he is genuinely inspired. Um, races like Top Back Rise got to earlier now, who was open and said Keenan's his hero. And Keenan has had a key supportive role in getting Top Back to this point as a bike rider. So we're already seeing the effects of his legacy in world super sports and in Turkish sports in general. Um, to, um, to, uh, um, get big, basically get passed on to the next generation of rider out there for him in the series in general. And Top Rack's good. I think he's going to have a fantastic career in the top flight if his, if his early form has anything to go by. So um, Keenan's impact will, will certainly be felt. Um, and, and he will be remembered very, very fondly. A, a great guy, a passionate guy. 
um, a fighter to the very, very end. Um, and I, again, I, I wish him good health, and I, and, I, and I wish him the best in whatever he decides to do in the future. If this really is the end, because I said he is a he is a fantastic rider, he's a quality human being, and he has done so much for bike racing in general. I don't think we realise at times how much of an influence he has had. So I, I, I guess I hope I wish him all the best because he's again he's he's had a very very key role in the future development of, 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 of bike racing in, in Turkey, in Eastern Europe, and lots of sport in general. Absolutely. We'll probably talk about him at a bit greater length if and when mm. he does announce his retirement, which appears to be uh, imminent in the next couple of weeks. Um, but as Dre said, we whatever he does with his life, we wish Kidding Suffolk all the very best of, of, of health um, in the future. And, yeah, to underline Dre's point, he's he is a whatever happens, even if he does stop racing, he's going to remain a key influence in the paddock. He's going to stay involved, we think, in the World Superbike paddock. Um, mm-hmm. As a rider mentor to, to Topak Razgati Yoglu, he's, he is largely, if not totally, responsible for the increase of, the increase of young Turkish riders coming through the ranks. We don't just have uh, Razgati Yoglu, we have young Chabuk, who was racing in Supersport 300 last season. We also have the Turkish Onsu twins, Dennis and Chan Onsu, um, who were both, they're both racing in the Ripple Rookies. They're both racing um, as well. They raced in the uh, Asia Talent Cup last season, and they're racing this season in the FIM Junior Moto3 World Championship as the two Red Bull KTM IO riders. Um, so they've both been placed in a very, very strong team. Um, the two Onshu twins, both from Turkey. Um, mm. and you could pretty much guess who their influence was in getting into motorcycle racing. So um, getting into Foglu's footprint and fingerprint will remain on motorcycle racing long after he retires, which could well be in the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, he could have a couple of other riders or two or three riders flying the flag in his place um, in the coming years, which is great to see. But yeah, we wish Kins Foglu all the very best. And uh, as we Indeed. say, if and when that is confirmed, we will no doubt talk about him and his career at greater length, the greatest World Supersport rider of them all. Um, well, with all due respect to World Superbikes, and it's one of those rare weekends where the two big hitters that we have in motorcycle racing, World Superbikes and MotoGP, are both in action. Um, World Superbikes kind of plays second fiddle this weekend to the main event, really, which is MotoGP um, uh, in America. And uh, when I think back, Dre, to the Formula 1 race that took place at this venue last season, if there was mm. ever a race at the Circuit of the Americas that could have done with Michael Buffer's input, it's this one. Um, because of what happened no, in Argentina um, two weeks ago. The uh, story has rumbled on between Mark Marquez and Valentino Rossi um, to the point that Dorna and uh, GP on their social media channels have broadcast their two rider debrief press conferences live um, from the paddock on Thursday. Um, because of course have, uh, they did. Of course they did, which um, will have pissed Kyle Crutchlow off no end. Um, the current championship leader. Um, Don't doubt me! Who was um, who was in the uh, the main official pre-race weekend press conference alongside Alex Rins, Jack Miller, um, Andre Davizioso, um, and um, Ali, yeah, Alex Rins was in there as well. Uh, and Joan Zarco was the other one that I was thinking of. It was basically the top four from, um, from Argentina plus Davizioso um, in that pre-race press conference. Um, now, the feud between the two continues to rumble on. They've both, without really trying to put the fire out, they haven't really tried to um, increase the flames this weekend. I guess that's the best thing we could say. Um, whilst there hasn't really been any sort of words of, um, you know, taking back of words from our, from Argentina, right. from either side, from Marquez or from Rossi, neither of them have really tried to um, build it up into any more than it is. I think they're both trying to move on and get on with racing this weekend. Um, and 
really, in terms of the feud between Marquez and Rossi, which is dominating MotoGP headlines, Mark Marquez's overall record at the Circuit of Americas might have a handy habit of splitting the two up. Yeah, it's probably for the best that Marquez is a demigod around here. Um, he has never lost in, in in the Circuit of the Americas as a, as a bike rider. He is undefeated in 11 races in the top flight in the United States of America. Um, I so think it's certainly, an Amer- certainly the Circuit of the Americas, they're all from pole position too. Indeed. Um, five poles, five wins, four out of the five times he's also set the fastest lap in a race. <laughs> this is what we're dealing with here. Marquez is virtually unstoppable around here. It, it's he, he, he wins, period. Like, like bet the house on this. Um, bet, bet your mother's mortgage on this. Marquez is probably winning this one. And with, with, with Yamaha's continued struggles... Um, I don't expect Marquez and Rossi to be anywhere near each other on track this weekend, which, again, given their history at the moment, is probably for the best. Yeah, that, that's very, very true. Um, yeah, as Dre mentioned, Mar Marquez, nine unbeatable. I mean, he, without wishing to be too dramatic, he's running around three. He can kind of do with a win um, this weekend because we mm-hmm. thought he was going to win last time out and he certainly had the pace to win like, in Argentina, but came out of it with no points because of the, uh, the incidents that we've uh, spoken about ad nauseum for the last two weeks. Um, so he's kind of playing catch up a little bit in the championship. So um, he could kind of do with the points, um, but it does look almost certain that he's going to win them. Um, and I'm trying to get a view on. Yeah, I mean, do you want to have a bet, Dre? I don't know if you've actually looked on this. And um, when I say, do you want to have a bet? Do you want to have a guess at what odds Mark Marquez is to win this one? I'm the bookies guy. I've not. I, I genuinely have not looked this up. Um... It's Marquez at Cota. He's five for five. It's going to be odds on. How far odds on? I'm going to guess... Four to nine? You're absolutely spot on with Skybet. He's four to nine. Um, hey! So yes! Pre- which I think is still um, printing money. Um, it obviously, it depends how much you want to put on that. But if you put 20 quid on, you get 30 quid back. Um, but that's I think fun. <laughs> it, it, that's not fun. You're right, but it's it's a pretty much a cast iron certainty. Um, but if there is a certainty by by motorcycle racing standards that Mark Marquez um, wins this weekend in, in um, bike racing terms, four to nine is a vast gaping chasm. Like you don't get odds on for a MotoGP race winner very often at all. Yeah, especially so, before a wheel's even been turned in the weekend. Exactly, and that's only going to get lower as time goes on. Like it'll be one to four by race day if Marquez qualifies on pole position. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to work out who the second favorite is in the bookies. I think the second favorite is Dovi at eleven to two. Oh, um, for God's sake! So, don't even bother. So it's, it's basically five and a half to one for the second favorite in the race. Your hand um, Zarko each way. There's your money. There's your value bet right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Zarko, you can get fourteen to one um, with with Skybet, who are the only bookies I can find at the moment um, that are um, that are taking bets. Um, I, I, I was gonna tweet Skybet and have can I get a requested bet on um, Xavier Simeon taking up the job as Alicia Spagro's crew chief for the weekend? But um, oh. I don't think that's gonna happen. Let's hope that feud's calmed down as well. Um, but um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting weekend. I mean, I- I'm still not certain, Dre, whether Kota is a great circuit for bikes. And that's not just because the winner's pretty much nailed on from Friday morning. Um, but <clears throat> we don't tend to have particularly close races there. Because it's so just so vast, so big, and has so many corners, it tends to split the field up, doesn't it? Um, it does, yeah. Markers. So I'm not quite sure what we're going to get this weekend. I mean, Moto2... 
is frankly anyone's guess because there's been no real pattern to the first two races. We had Bagnaia win brilliantly in the first race before disappearing in the second race as Pasini took the win. Moto3, Aaron Canet leads the championship and pissed away the most clear and obvious of victories here last season. So if he carries mm-hmm. that form from last season, he might well extend his lead. Yeah, look out if he if he's got um, if he's able to retain any sort of, of pace from last year because he demolished the field in qualifying last season, but um, wasn't able to convert it. He was punched in the nose one too many times by look as a shock. It's Romano Fernati, but um, yeah, as as you said, like Canet was so fast, but he was not able to translate that into in the in the race. He wasn't able to. Do the near impossible in Moto3, which is to break a toe. Um, it, it, it takes a very, very fast rider to do that, especially given that coat has got two very long straights around it as well. Um, whew, it's 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 crazy, but um, hopefully Canet is able to convert it. But um, like it's it makes for great Moto3 races, I'll say that much. But you're right, as a circuit. It doesn't tend to produce very many great races. Get it's so vast and it's got such, it's so technical with all with all the corners in it, um, and you know with with it's, it's it's got a little bit of everything as a racing circuit, and, it, and it's so big. It's over two minutes a lap around there. Twenty the, corners. With twenty corners in it, so it's going to be quite a sparse field. It tends to split them up a little bit. It's hard to get a a true track battle on circuit which is a bit unfortunate but hopefully maybe this is the year where the field is a bit more bunched up we shall see whatever happens we will cover it all um next week on episode 56 um of bike live and um yeah it's gonna be a bumper show again next week because we're gonna be covering uh, the grand prix of the americas and world Superbikes at assen so a lot to get through um next week um on bike live so we look forward to your company then um, as well as that, next week we have episode one three. I'm losing count. One three five of Motorsport one hundred and one. Um, as IndyCar continues into its third consecutive weekend, Dre with the Grand Prix of Alabama. Yeah, we're going. We're going to Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama for one of our favorite rounds on the calendar for IndyCar. It's a it's a it's a track that has a knack of producing some great races. We saw it. A couple of years ago, when Simon Pagano and Graham Rahal beat the shit out of each other in the second half of the race in a fight for the win that went all the way down to the wire. Um, Barber has a knack of not being boring. It's a track that produces a lot of overtakes, a lot of cautions. It should be a fun time. And we actually have two correspondents because RJ and Chris are both down there for the weekend. So hopefully we'll get some juicy gossip from them afterwards on that when they come back. So episode 135 of Motorsport 101 will be out next week. Yeah, we're hoping to have Patrick on the show next week as well, who is at the Circuit of the Americas this weekend too, covering the uh, Grand Prix Americas in MotoGP. So uh, you'll have information from the ground from both IndyCar and MotoGP, hopefully on our two shows. How um, did he blag a media past the bastard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, up for this race of all races as MotoGP is um, <laughs> at the centre of all of the news at the moment in um, in two-wheeled motorsport. Um, yeah, we'll have all that next week, episode 135 of Motorsport 101 and episode 56 of Bike Live coming next week. Between now and then, places you can get in touch with us uh, if you so wish, uh, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, twitter at motorsport underscore 101, um, our YouTube channel is .com forward slash motorsport101. Our website is motorsport101.net. Uh, plenty of written content to keep an eye on on there. Uh, and if you back us on Patreon, um, you can earn yourself early access to both our weekly shows and access to our Discord server where you can listen in live 
to our weekly shows. That's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, my thanks then to Andre Harrison for joining me this week. Um, for those with an insight as to when we're recording this, it is currently 20 past midnight on Thursday night. So, um, yeah, I think it's about time we call a halt to this. Huge thank you to uh, Dre for joining me. Huge thank you to all of you for listening uh, to episode 55 of Bike Live as the old guard struck back at Brands. We'll see you again for our MotoGP and World Superbike reviews next week. Bye for now.